A reading from Matthew 5, 1 through 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up a mountain. He sat down and his disciples came to him. He taught them, saying, Happy are people who are hopeless, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are people who grieve, because they will be made glad. Happy are people who are humble, because they will inherit the earth. Happy are people who are hungry and thirsty for righteousness, because they will be fed until they are full. Happy are people who show mercy, because they will receive mercy. Happy are people who have pure hearts, because they will see God. Happy are people who make peace, because they will be called God's children. Happy are people whose lives are harassed, because they are righteous, because the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Happy are you when people insult you and harass you and speak all kinds of bad and false things about you, all because of me. Be full of joy and be glad, because you have a great reward in heaven. In the same way, people harass the prophets who came before you. The word of the Lord. We are a community that loves like Jesus, and my hope and my prayer is that this would be a transformative space for you, not just today, but every time you tune in. We're continuing our sermon series on the Sermon on the Mount, and today's sermon is titled, Blessed Are the Meek. We're going to be going over Matthew 5.5, 5, and this is the third of the Beatitudes, where it says this, happier people who are humble because they will inherit the earth. Now, maybe you're familiar with the NIV translation, translation which says this, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Well, the danger of the Sermon on the Mount is to many, it's very familiar. And when things are familiar, then we tend to gloss over them and not pay attention to them as much as we need to. We're so familiar and the words are so familiar that we come under a lot of assumptions, even of their definitions. And there's a lot going on in this, in this verse. And one of the things that we need to answer at the end of the sermon is, how does this apply to us? How does it apply to our lives? How does it apply in our treatment of others and our relationships? So first, let's unpack the word meek or humility. The Greek word for humility is praus, and that word means power with demonstrative reserve. Power with demonstrative reserve. So the person who is humble is the person who is powerful and chooses not to use it in harshness and only in gentleness. So meekness is not weakness. Meekness actually has strength, exercised and not using it in a fashion that exercises power. We exercise gentleness instead of usurping power over others. So this is a word that actually has two very different dim dimensions to it. The first dimension is the proactive dimension. When I do the work myself, when I become meek, or when I become humble, when I take on the mindset of humility, or I intentionally say or do things that portray a humility, when I become non-threatening, when I become peaceful, or I actually disarm myself or disarm my words, when I become tolerant, well, Jesus proclaims this meekness in Matthew 29, 11. Put on my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and I'm humble, and you will find rest for yourselves. 
So this word for gentle is the same word used for humble or meek in the beatitude. This is the proactive sense of the word praus. Well, the second dimension of the word is a passive sense, a passive meekness. This is the meekness that is caused by oppression or imprisonment or actually abuse. It's the meekness that is caused during abuse. This is the disempowered. This is actually the humiliated posture that we take on after acts of violence or when we get hurt, we become inward. Well, Jesus experienced this level of meekness when he experienced the cross. So these are two totally different dimensions and ways to look at the word for meekness. Well, I'm going to say that based on what I know about the Sermon on the Mount, I'm going to claim that the right definition is the second definition. Just know that Jesus is speaking of those that are already meek. He is speaking of those that are in this state of meekness. So the form of meekness that comes from oppression is a meekness that is really out of our control. And things that are out of our control sometimes are out of our control to the point that we can't fix them or heal them. And God gives us promises in that state. He gives us the promise that we will be blessed. He gives us the promise that we will somehow inherit the earth. So blessed are the humiliated, for they will inherit the earth. So for this, if it's the right translation, which I think it is, it leads me to another challenge. It seems like being humbled is a good thing. Yet in Matthew 23, 12, Jesus says those that exalt themselves will be humbled, and those that humble themselves will be exalted. So those that are humbled, it doesn't seem like a good thing after all. So is it a good thing to be humbled or not? Because in Jesus, in his words, it seems like those that are humbled did something wrong in their life to deserve to be humbled. They exalted themselves, therefore they're pushed somehow down. Well, this translation and this conundrum of these verses become compounded with me because I have literally spent a lifetime, and some of you have spent a lifetime, trying to build confidence in who we are because of humiliation. We've tried to build confidence and self-esteem in who and what we do because of what has been taken from us or what we've had to endure in life. So where does this verse put me? Well, I think that there is a hidden treasure. And there's a lot of hidden treasures in scripture that sometimes we gloss over because of familiarity. And I really like having, like for example, Pastor Jake and Sherea Bodner around because they definitely find hidden treasures around in scripture that I was not trained to find. And being around them, it's kind of fun to have a new introduction to new scriptures, new things. When I read scripture, I ask them, what do you find in this? What do you see culturally in this and contextually in this? So when you look at Matthew 23 and you figure out what he is saying in this scripture, that un actually unpacks what he is saying in Matthew 5.5. 5. And that is what I'd like to do. In Matthew 23.12, it says this again, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So Jesus is trying to give us his view of humility. And if you study out the word for humble, you will find that it also has two senses to the word. 
It has two senses like meekness did in Matthew 5.5. So when I humble myself, that is very different than when someone else humbles me. When I humble myself, then that's a good thing. When somebody humbles me, that's called humiliation. And this is when my holistic feeling, when, when I'm humiliated, that holistic feeling of inferiority is enacted. This is not good. And this is where my self-esteem or my self-confidence is etched away, where I feel oppressed or I'm abused. That's that inferiority or that self-loathing is enacted. Well, Jesus invites us into a proactive humbling where we initiate the action of humbling ourselves and disarming ourselves. So humility is usually taught as the opposition and opposite of pride. It's in opposition to pride. When we have pride, we're not humble. And when we are humble, we have no pride. So pride is like the enemy. Thinking high of yourself or being proud of yourself is like the evil one. So being humble is the opposite of that, and that is to be praised. That's usually the way it's taught. So in order to be humble, you have to think negative of yourself and think small of your accomplishments. Well, I would say that there's something very wrong with that kind of thinking. It's like a race to the whole. It's a race to the smallness. It's a race to be as negative as possible about self. And this comes self-loathing. Well, this comes under the assumption that I'm correct when I say humility is the opposite of pride, and that is simply not true. Shame is the opposite of pride. Shame is the negative self-talk and the race to the ditch, to the hole, the race to smallness. The smaller I am, the better, because I'm worth nothing. That's shame. That's shame, and that's not what Jesus was getting at at all. If Jesus wants us to be humble, then we, we need to want to be humble. Yet in order to be humble, we need to know actually what humility is. If humility is not in opposition to pride, then what in the world is humility and how do I enact it in my life? Well, humility stands in contrast to shame and pride both. Humility is the opposite of what creates shame and pride. Shame and pride are insecure states, and humility is actually a secure state of being. It is profoundly secure. It's the unsurpassable knowledge and knowing that we are good and that our actions are pure. When God calls us saint, God actually meant it. So shame and pride are social dysfunctions. I feel shame relative to my comparison to something else or comparison to a social construct or norm. So if I'm not enough, I feel shame in not being enough compared to who or compared to what or compared like my status in life compared to what norm. When I feel pride or arrogance, then I am in relative comparison to something else or something some, some construct or some norm. I'm better than this, or I'm better than this person. So if superiority is the opposite of inferiority, then humility also stands in opposition to both of these as well. 
So humility stands in opposition to shame, stands in opposition to pride, stands in opposition to inferiority, and humility stands in opposition to superiority. So humility is knowing of self and treating others with unsurpassable equality. That God so loved everyone the same and created everyone the same and treats everyone justly and treats everyone righteously. Therefore, I am to do the same. We are to think of ourselves and others as unsurpassable equals to everyone. And this then neutralizes inferiority. It neutralizes superiority and shame and pride make no sense in that framework. So humility equalizes everyone and treats everyone the same. There are no male or female, Jew or Greek. We are all created equal in the eyes of God. Yet my human condition fights against and with inferiority. It fights against and with superiority, shame, and pride. We fight all the time in these tensions in our human condition. We have friction amongst our superiority, I'm better, or inferiority, I'm not enough. We have friction there. Yet our wholeness will come. Our healing will be enacted when we begin to believe that another person's actions are just as important as my actions, that, that my actions are important like their actions, that another person's beliefs need to be respected and honored as their beliefs, and mine as well, and their feelings are very real to them, just like my feelings are very real to me. So our framework of humility takes the power out of our human dysfunctions. The more we grow in humility, we can thrive and make sense of the world around us and learn to love people better, learn to love those that are different, maybe feel different, maybe have different experiences that we would call the others, whoever they are in your life and my life, we would learn to love other people. So now when we go back to Matthew 5.5, 5, if you bring to the text a self-loathing, a shame or an inferiority, the Matthew 5.5 5 text doesn't feel good, and it isn't consistent with the rest of the Bible. So God calls us saints, but praises us for stabbing ourselves and others with the title sinner? Well, people do this. They judge. They point fingers. They actually stand on street corners with signs shaming one another. Why? Because people think that shame creates growth. Well, that's just not true. Well, if you bring the text pride and superiority and arrogance, I'm better than you or I'm better than that, the Matthew 5, 5 text doesn't feel good either. Uh, it seems more maybe consistent maybe with the rest of the Bible, but impossible for me to achieve because I don't or can't be that way. I'm proud of myself and have to forcibly self-hate. I'm proud of my accomplishments, but I have to downplay what I've done. I can't do that. You can't do that. That's impossible to live that way. Well, Jesus is not teaching either one of these things. All of the above, both and all, are not meekness, humility, and gentleness at all. 
Yet most people approach these scriptures in such a way. Most people have been taught these scriptures in that way. Most people enter into life just because of abuse, oppression, and just because of our system of competitiveness in life, we approach life this way. Well, bringing Jesus and his understanding to the text brings full understanding to this text of Matthew 5.5. The meekness that Jesus is talking about are those that have already been humiliated by an ungodly world, those that have been taken advantage of by people and systems, those that have been oppressed by those that are totally ungodly. Jesus is bringing good news for their bad news. Jesus is bringing such good news that they're going to get help in their helplessness in their situation. So you can see this because Jesus is quoting actually Psalm 37, verse 11. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Well, if you read the entire context of Psalm 37, well, let's say back in verse 10, all the way to 15, you'll see this a little bit more. The wicked will be no more, he says. God says this, the wicked will be no more. Though you will look for them, they will not be found. But the meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. The wicked plot against the righteous and gnash their teeth at them. But the Lord laughs at the wicked, for he knows their day is coming. The wicked draw the sword and bend the bow to bring down the poor and the needy, to slay those whose ways are upright. But their swords will pierce their own hearts, and their bows will be broken. So Jesus declares the, the, that we are unsurpassably equal. He declares that we are unsurpassably loved in equal ways. Yet the world operates under a totally different system. The world operates under a delusion that some people are better than others. That's actually how we think. We actually think that some people are better and more superior than others. Well, somebody might be better at math than I am, or better at reading, or better at, at running, or better at, at, at swimming than I am, but yet we are unsurpassably equal in our creation. But when we think that people at their core are better or more superior than one another or another, that, that belief brings rise to so many dysfunctions in our society. It leads to a tremendous amount of indignities. It leads to humiliation. It leads to shame and inferiority. And then we bring on a self-loathing because we're thought of as lower than others or not enough compared to others. And when you're stuck in the system, the feelings are very real. But yet the feelings of humiliation and, and who you are in those feelings that's a complete lie. They are not what God thinks of us. And you are who you are. God created you and called us all good. We are unsurpassably loved and equal. So with all this in mind, God wants us to take on humility. He wants us to strive for humility and humble ourselves. This is our growth to be more Christ-like in our behavior. But Jesus then teaches us in Matthew 5, 5, that people who are humiliated by this ungodly world will be blessed and they will somehow inherit the earth. They will have the fruit of the land like we read in, in Psalms. So we will not be blessed though 
if we thrive off the way the world is. And we get into this competitive nature of trying to be better than another, putting down others and rising ourselves up and developing superiority complexes, shaming others down and having arrogance like I'm better than you. And then engaging in the opposite, like many of us have, of I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm self-loathing and I have an inferiority complex. In both cases of this, whether you think we're better than or whether we think that we're below than, C.S. Lewis said that that we people think that we are growing into the world, but the reality is, is the world is growing inside of us, and that is corrupt. So my hope is this, that we would all take on the action of meekness and become meek in our actions. And when the world crushes our soul, when the world crushes our actions, and when we when we stand on our feet and the world knocks us down, or when we accomplish just so much and the world declares it worthless, that we would stand in hope. And our hope would be that the promise of Jesus, that we would inherit the earth in our meekness, would he carry that out in our lives and that he will carry that out in others. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for the words of Jesus. Thank you that even though many are oppressed and we might feel oppressed, we might feel crushed and others have been crushed. Lord, your promise is sure. Lord, that we will be blessed even though we don't feel it, think it, or perceive that blessing. You promise us that we will inherit. And we look forward and have hope in that promise. Lord, I pray that we would be able to take on humility, that our lives would speak humility because we're striving to be more like Jesus. Lord, help us to be Christ-like. Lord, empower us to do so. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.